So um, welcome everyone to our photo book book group. And um, I have learned as I have done these to start with a few things. One is to introduce myself. I'm Sibylla Smith, and I'm really excited to bring this platform to people. Basically, I think of our platform as one for creative storytellers, visual storytellers to learn from each other and to share ideas, challenges, resources. And I am simply a conduit and really curious. So um, the format is basically an unscripted conversation and I will share work and Misha will talk about his work and we'll have plenty of time for a conversation. So um, one other thing I learned is to ask for people to support the platforms that amplify the kind of work that Misha is doing. So in this case, it means having subscriptions to actual news organizations like the New York Times, like the New Yorker, uh, the New Press, which published this book, um, and knowing about things like um, the Diverse Humanity series of books. I've got just the cover of it. Um, so that you not only um, support the nonprofits and the uh, media that's helping disseminate information. Um, it's also helpful to do things like follow uh, amplifiers like myself on social media. Uh, I know Glenn is on the call from Social Documentary Network to support that type of um, basically reporting and amplifying on social documentary. So it's being members of nonprofits, whether those are local museums, it's getting paid prescriptions and um, yeah, it's an infrastructure. So I like to stop and ask people to be pretty clear about that. And my thing is to be in conversation. Um, I really wanna have an international conversation on the landscape of contemporary photography and its impact. Um, so I was trying to think, I believe Misha, you are the person I know best out of all the people we've hosted. So all the other people, I might've had some introduction, but honestly, for the most part, the majority of people I was meeting on this platform. So what's really fun is that I honestly think we go back a decade and I'm going to introduce you in an unusual way because um, I'm just going to put it out there. You'll be uncomfortable because I'm going to highlight you and you are the most self-effacing person and I'm going to challenge it because you have been masterful in ways that I want to amplify, not that you are an amplifier of your own work in the way that I think it just blows me away. This is how we met. So what year was this made? Uh, a decade ago. Yep. So Misha walks into Digital Silver Imaging, um, which is owned by my husband. And I believe that's the first time we met. And I unpacked this and thought, who is this person? Because what you did here, I, I would the way I've described you and even as I have um, shouted out about doing this conversation is that you make visible the invisible and you really grapple with abstract ideas as well as issues that do not have tangibility 
and you find ways to amplify it. So I'm just gonna open this because this is all part of my introduction because this is your series. Well, you can talk about it. This is a, your series on corruption and it's folded up and you've got prints in here that held, held the images, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's uh, super simple. And it, but it's also because it's a topic. The topic was corruption, and uh, oh, you know, it, it's very easy to associate corruption with kind of an envelope under the table. So we thought it was kind of cool to create the, for the book to be in the shape of an envelope. Absolutely, and yeah, the yeah. idea of hidden, and this is why you blew me out of the water because it was so layered in the creative decisions, like to take the concept and contextualize it, to make it an actual experience for the viewer. That's, that is everything I teach. That's. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I took the, I mean, this concept was first, I, to the best of my knowledge, uh, kind of revolutionized in the sixties in Japan, the idea that a, a photo book is something that you can't just simply flip through that you have to work on it and how mm. design should make people work. Not too much, but it, it, it has to be like, you know, it, it, it requires some kind of physical engagement. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there. So, yeah. well, so I that's don't... kind of, so that's kind of me taking that idea and, playing around with uh, what I have and what I had and with the budget that I had and trying to create something in conversation with those pioneering pioneering work from 60 years ago. Yeah. Well, it was, for me, it really struck me because it was extremely engaging. It was very thoughtful and it's not just the design, it's how you photograph, which leads me to the second I wanted, I had three levels of introduction for you. So one was this, that was the first. Then we, uh, I'm not going in chronological order, but I'm going to introduce the second one was when you were talking about Gulag and Masha Gessen and yourself were guests at Harvard. And I went to that presentation and it was when I, I hadn't had the book in my hand and actually the book is at DSI. And so I can't show that, but Gulag was, astounding. And it was astounding because, yes, Masha's an amazing writer. However, she was completely or they were completely matched by your sensitive storytelling. When you were doing things like showing, photographing the back of the images that you were talking to people in their homes about when you showed absence, right? You found ways to, again, make visible the invisible. It was very, very moving. And, and that's one of those places where I watched you be like, you know, I think you're all here for her. <laughs> and it's like, well, when, no. when you, when you see, when you have what, what feels like, what it feels like it's it, that from what I remember from that evening was what felt like a bunch, like dozens of tenured professors <laughs> yeah. who've, who clearly had thought of questions in advance um, and like in order to, I don't know, impress or to challenge or maybe because they like to hear themselves talk, um, trying to kind of 
be on the level with my co-worker, you know, with my co-author. So, so when I, you know, when I would hear them speak, I was extremely happy to have her next to my side and uh, take, you know, like, yeah. Okay, that's a point well taken. That was yeah. a heavy, heavy hitting <laughs> audience. However, maybe if you could um, just um, introduce Gulag to us because yeah, that was uh, spectacular. Well, just like with corruption, I mean, we were, we were, I mean, the book is about memory and that project was about how do you, uh, you know, like the, 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 the book was called Never Remember and the point sorry, we were, I keep calling it the sorry. point that we were trying to make is that you can't forget what you did not remember what did we mean by that what we meant was that if you do not go through like a proper exercise of reflection and honesty and like i mean soviet union won world war ii so there was no nuremberg trial there was no need to, for an honest conversation, communism and Soviet Union went on for another 40 years until it collapsed. So it, people continued to both live in a lie and continued to be, no one was really, except for very, very few, uh, was held accountable, like seriously accountable for the atrocities that Stalin, um, basically did to his own people, mm -hmm. you know, prior to World War II. And so you can't say, you know, what's happening now in Russia is that people like this to think that, well, yeah, we didn't know, then Solzhenitsyn came, and then Archipelago Galago, and this and that, and then we learned some facts, but we don't want to talk about it now. Like that, that's, that has been, that's, we, we've moved on. Uh, what we try to argue that, well, you didn't really, you can't really say that we've moved on since you really not had that conversation. And well, the point we were making is that the, the FS, what's now called FSB, you know, the system of repression that was built in 1930s has not really gone away. And I don't know. I mean, irony is maybe not the right, not the best term for it, but it's kind of not surprisingly that what we see now in Russia this year mm -hmm. and what we saw in Belarus last year, the level of the brutality, mm -hmm. um, is precisely the, I mean, it's precisely the methods have not changed. And you'd have locals who've like to think now that well that was the past and this is new and they were kind of shocked to see their own countrymen uh behave this way toward their own citizens and well it's because they had no nuremberg trial it is because this the system of like terror that you put in in the 30s has not really gone away you know and there became kgb kgb became fsb but the principles and foundations of uh, of uh, the relationship between uh, between the state and its people has not really changed mm -hmm. lessons and, to uh, be learned for yeah, us yeah 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 because now. yeah 
so that's that, so that's what that project was about. It was about kind of how to deal with uh, memory, and uh, I enjoy working on such things a lot. I mean, they're kind of fun and interesting and challenging puzzles uh, uh, to solve, of like how to kind of visually express memory member. Mm -hmm. But also, that's where I think it's indicative in all the projects that I look at is your eye, how you see photographically is very specific, and really drills home the the questioning, the like raising of issues. Um, yeah. You're very uh, skilled I mean, what, at that. I mean, I thank you. I try, I mean, when it comes to conceptual projects, the way I like to work, and I I don't think it's an it's advice because it really, it has to, like whatever you do has to match your personality if you want to do it well. Like it matches my personality. It's not universal. Uh, the way I like to work, I mean, for me, the harder the topic, the more I need to think through about what I'm going to do before I take any pictures. What I do, what format, is mm -hmm. it going to be color? Is it going to be black and white? Is it going to be square? Is it going to be uh, panoramic? Is it going to be three by two? Will there be people? Like, what am I doing? You know, like, what am I going to do? So that exercise, uh, you know, like the shoot takes a lot less time than the than preparation. Uh, and the other thing that helps when you're dealing with such topics, it's kind of a hack that I learned, uh, is I try, I mean, writers don't know obviously what they're going to write, but often uh, they have an idea for the title. So I try to squeeze either the title or kind of an approach, like a, like a sense of what the title is going to be, mm -hmm. and and in the case in in the case of like cool uh, memory project, Masha had this amazing title before the book was written. Never remember. So that's what I chose to focus on. Like then I was like, this is what I'm photographing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like then I'm I, because because then I'm not photographing anything else. Then I'm focusing mm -hmm. on this one emotion. Mm -hmm. I'm focusing on this concept, and I'm not here as a tourist, like emotionally reacting to what I'm seeing. Absolutely not. Like I'm here to do a very focused job. Because mm -hmm. again, unlike right when you're traveling with a writer who is fast and kind of in demand. They're not going to be like, well, we just saw this and let's get coffee and come back and tomorrow and see and think. No, that's not. They just come and see and then the rest of the work is done on the road or when they're home. Mm -hmm. But you have a very tight window to and you don't obviously as a photographer, you can't go back and uh, reshoot, especially when you are like in the Russian Far East, like in the, like, you know, yeah. Where you went. Um, I want to move on, but I do want to say that you discovered your own family secrets in that uh, Yeah, well, not so much secrets, but kind of things that were kind of coincidence and rhymes, like how I discovered that 
one of like one of the camps where my grandmother was as a teenager, like with her family, uh, was the same little town where one of the uh, Pussy Riot girls uh, was uh, in prison for two years. Uh, you know, yeah. So that's kind of, yeah. And then I met uh, Pussy Riot while working on the Belarus book. But that was kind of, and we're still kind of close and we keep in touch and uh, with Pussy Riot. And, but that was one of the unexpected connections that uh, that was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, I guess I got the sense that conversations happened in your family that hadn't happened before. Of course, because yeah. Of it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the third thing I wanted to say about the introduction is my favorite escapade, and I'm sure you remember it, but I just have to share it because it was so funny, which is when we were at Photovale, and I was um, pushing it to the last minute, of course, and hopped on the subway. And I get on the subway trying to get a train and it's in lower Manhattan, stopped with the doors open. And I'm standing by the door, like a typical New Yorker and just like going, this isn't working in my favor. And the second time that like it had, people had come on over the loudspeaker, et cetera. And it's just one of those moments where you try to figure this out of like, do I stay, do I go? What am I gonna do here? And I popped my head back because it was open doors at the station and you popped your head out of the car in front of me. And the two of us got together and you did a high speed chase and got me to the train on time. And you were meeting your wife and she was in, she was above ground and we were below ground. And I just remember that is like, one of my favorite moments and hysterical. It was, you saved me. I made my train. <laughs> so anywho, that was just uh, how it's nice to talk with somebody that I, I have had history with. But I want to um, move over to share the PDF of Two Women in Their Time. Can you tell us about how you got involved in this project and yeah. and, and diverse humanity? Because it's... Yeah. Uh, well, diverse humanity as a as a project is again, it's a conversation. It's a conversation with uh, very f- uh, so sixty years ago, sixty sixty five years ago now. Uh, MoMA had this very important, like seminal exhibition called the, the Family of Man. Mm-hmm. And the family, what the family of men did, which was a major show, 200 plus photographers, 450 something images. Um, they, for the first time in like their history in the 50s, tried to show that you see, like people around the world, they organ the exhibition was organized by birth, adolescence, marriage. This is workforce, uh, retirement, death. Uh, and they kind of grouped similar images from different different parts of the world to show that we're all the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, famous show, still traveling the world. I think it's permanently housed in like Liechtenstein or Luxembourg now, but uh, millions of copies sold and you could still sell them. So kind of a seminal bud, seminal body of work for curators at the time and so when gay marriage was legalized uh, in New York uh, 
an uh, an art director, photo director had an idea. Uh, it's like, why don't we, what if we, like, what was missing in the family of men? Mm -hmm. Like, family of men in the 50s basically showed that around the world, there is a way to live. Like, this is what a family looks like. This is what a husband and wife looks like. This is what everything else that's looks like. Well, what is missing was that it could be, people could be gay. People, there could be, you know. So what if the, the, the challenge, the, the, the question at the time, this was 2000, I forget, also 11, 12, uh, was like, what if um, there was a kind of an, an answer, you know, kind of a conversation mm -hmm, with an mm -hmm, answer mm -hmm. to the a family response. of men. A response, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, what if there was a response to the family of men? And what if we had stories of kind of LGBTQ people from around the world? And while which each would be, you know, could be, be maybe a separate chapter, but collectively would would essentially become a response to the family of men. Mm -hmm. So that's how it began. Mm -hmm. uh, and the project uh, began in began almost a decade ago. Mm -hmm. um, there are now, I believe, about 15 titles yeah. in the project. So it's not just me. I mean, this is yeah, my yeah. second contribution to this project. But you have photographers working in their communities around the world. Um, and it's growing. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you have a few books from Latin America, India, Japan, Australia, a few books from Eastern Europe. So this project, this latest uh, project, and they release about three to four titles per year mm -hmm. um, with the new press. Um, and the idea that someday, you know, a curator will look at the whole series and essentially create the modern much necessary response to the family of men. So mm -hmm. look, um, uh, and, but because we're working, this is kind of a, like a little bug, uh, is that because we're working with the Arcos Foundation and the mm -hmm. New Press, which are all nonprofits, mm -hmm. all books are by modern, like photo book standards, the mm -hmm. entire series is super cheap. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like, all photo books are believe under twenty bucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like that's almost unheard of in the photo world. Mm -hmm. um, so, if you, you go on Amazon, yeah, I mean, if you so, go on Amazon, it's uh, it's always somewhere between like seventeen to nineteen dollars. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it's a price of coffee. Sometimes it's two cups of coffee. Uh, but it's uh, but it is because. Uh, because of the great partnerships of the, of the new press and Arcos that we're able to do that. So, okay, yeah. So that's what I mentioned in terms of, I thought you mentioned someone else besides the new press and Arcos, but those are the two behind it. Well, you have a, there, there is a, there is a art, there is a. Oh yeah, DWS, the design firm, a, yes. There's a design firm. It's just kind of an interesting project because normally you know, projects originate with a photographer or with the publisher or with the NGO. And then like, like if, a, if a project is conceived by an NGO, 
designers and photographers and everyone else are hired afterwards. And usually, the, but here the initial idea was by uh, EWS, which is a design firm, and uh, which is kind of an it's a it's an interest it's a, it's essentially taking a normal um, uh, normal uh, way in which mm -hmm. photographers have ideas or NGOs yeah. have ideas, mm -hmm. and it's flipped it's flipped uh, 180 degrees because you have let's say you have a you have a design firm and then photographers pitch to the design firm and then design firm works with uh, a nonprofit mm -hmm. and then once the product is created it's then it's uh, a publishing company is then used to to kind of to distribute it mm -hmm. which is nor which is not, not normally how it works but it allows for uh, uh, almost complete creative uh, freedom mm -hmm. and uh, and again uh, it saves you know not everyone is good at Kickstarter and GoFundMe, and it's not for everyone. It's not, uh, and uh, and that allows it allows me to say that look, this book is nineteen bucks, yeah, like and not for you know not forty nine, not seventy nine, which is uh, sadly like there's so many great books that I wish I would would have, but I just it's hard for me to buy seventy dollar books. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know yeah. and hard to justify it yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. understood yeah i thought that was a very interesting collaboration so um i'm starting with um some images i think we maybe have like seven or eight um mm -hmm. from the book um which is really interesting in terms of the layout i i wondered about a couple of things um I like how it was separated by the the titles. Uh, it took the essay and put it in three parts, right? Yeah. What you see. Um, I mean, when you work with a writer, kind of, and then the, 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 I mean, what was different about this chapter from the this book? I think of this book as a chapter from other books. I think in this in in the series is that. For mo for the most part, in my experience, photographer does what you know has a book. A book is compiled, and then a writer is hired for the inter for an introduction. But here, from the very beginning, uh, Masha Gesson was a full kind of kind of collaborator partner uh, in it. So when when the essay was received. It was decided that the art director decided that book would be structured mm -hmm. around, like basically around her essay. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it says, so like the it's the cover is a little bit is 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 little inaccurate in the sense that mm -hmm. it just says introduction, which mm -hmm. but in fact it's a it's a ninety five hundred word introduction. It's mm -hmm. a it's a full. I mean, it's a full New Yorker length article uh it's not just it's not two to three pages mm -hmm. and i appreciated i thought the separation where it starts with what you see is nothing you see everything what do you see i i loved that breakdown i thought that was very uh evocative and i wondered about choices of images like this one which i loved being used so were you giving 
outtakes for this type of? Uh, well, it's you know, like this is a, this is a design firm and art director. Like when you're shooting for a book, like when you're shooting essentially a feature, which is go- you know is going to be a book length feature, mm-hmm. you like I, I have enough kind of experience in my career to know that you need you need emotional kind of moody uh, kind of images that essentially look like adjectives you know mm-hmm. and uh uh because for text yeah yeah yep. <laughs> uh, just in case so i i don't like to overshoot like mm-hmm. i usually like i really like i've i don't uh but mm-hmm. again when, when you're working on a book you kind of know that if you see something like what you just showed Uh, you know there's fog and you're traveling to the countryside there could be something there that an art director uh would would use and also like it's you're doing a you're doing a project about a couple but ultimately not every photo in the book should be of them like people people get it i'm you know people are intelligent they don't need 150 portraits of two people yeah you just don't Yeah. yeah Yeah, great. Well, it was really a curiosity of mine to think about how you chose to um, integrate, I, I, well, not even integrate, but I understand the relationship built with your protagonists, but also weaving in the theater and when you were in Minsk or when you were elsewhere. Like, I thought that was interesting that those creative yeah. decisions and i didn't know did you direct some of that is that a conversation with the art director and masha mm. and like, yeah well everything happen? well you i mean the the couple run a theater run a theater uh, they help they work at a yes, theater so. company and what you actually see in the photo that's on the screen right now is essentially a garage <laughs> it's a garage that they're renting uh, which they converted into a little theater on the outskirts of uh, Minsk. What was really bizarre and peculiar is that if you look them up, when they are abroad, they play in most, like in some of the most important uh, uh, like stages uh, around the world, like Ben, like Ben Brantley, you know, like a top uh, just retired uh, theater critic. It was a huge fan of them, which does not happen very often. And uh, he even went to Minsk on his own uh, to the chagrin of like all the theater producers in New York and kind of uh, kind of not supposed to do that. I'm, I understand. Um, uh, so, yeah, so the contrast between doing underground plays in the garage mm-hmm. in your hometown and then you're on tour and you're like at the bar- Barbican and... Uh, La Mama. And, you know, La Mama. And mm-hmm. uh, basically they've, they've uh, headlined every, like all the, mo- all the important uh, theater festivals like around the world, residences, you name it, they've done it. Yet mm-hmm. in their hometown, it's a garage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's kind of, so this is a scene after a play where people just, went out for a smoke and go home and uh and yeah that's uh kind of an also, in Minsk yeah they have to um 
it's all you mentioned that it's free because then they can't be traced and it's also done online so that people sign up and then get yeah. information well i think the three i think three part the, the three part is also practical mm -hmm. uh so that's one this is one of the like immersive like a uh, theater like dinner theater kind of place uh which they let me photograph this is actually a great play um and uh uh, because if you don't charge, because they're, they're underground, but if you charge money, authorities can audit you. But if you don't, you have like, like there are fewer questions, like it's harder for authorities to raid you and to mm -hmm. audit you and to forbid you from doing your work. Because if you, if admission is free, it's not work. <laughs> Like this now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like us uh, today. Yeah, but mm -hmm. this is a great play where, so like, again, and when, when people show up, they never know what to expect. So all they have is, is the name. Mm -hmm. They make a, they put out a call on social media with a phone number and within 20 to 30 minutes, whoever calls first gets in. Like, and that's how tickets are distributed. And this play, this place was fun because People, what people didn't know was that they were showing up, uh, you know, for this, and there was this feast with actual like food there, which were expected to eat with vodka and some actors and like real vodka. And you're supposed to take shots and dance and participate and have difficult discussions. What, of course, they, what, you know, I knew, but they, the artists were incredibly, they're also incredibly talented um i don't say magicians or manipulators but they they did it in a way where the guests had no idea that the actors were not actually drinking like they, right, but, right. they were drinking water but all the guests were made were all all the all the all the guests were getting drunk yeah. um, and there were also some plants which uh guests had no idea and uh and like truly immersive kind of dinner theater and it mm -hmm. kind of a little bit rowdy and a little bit weird and and it works because in in two and a half hours like the guests thought that i was one of the actors because i was the only like they never let a photographer like mm -hmm. in, in into this like this particular play they keep a secret because they really want everyone to be um uh, yeah but it's like from from this picture you wouldn't be able to tell who is the guest and who is uh who, like who's acting yeah wow wow um yeah this is a uh, rehearsal uh i think this was already on so yeah and and then when they are on the road in europe or this i think this was canada or finland i forget you know they have the theater they have all the rehearsal spaces and you know grand piano uh and this is the, the woman in the middle is Masha Alekhina uh, from Pusirayat. Uh, she's now under house arrest in Moscow. Div, div, it's gonna be, we could have a separate Zoom about that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, very different kind of facilities and everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's like, that would be a normal play with, you know, hundreds in the audience and uh, very physical, very intense. They have played, I think, in Boston before, but I'm not 100% sure. Definitely DC and places like that, and New York. And I'm pretty sure, like, they have a big play. 
which was delayed by a year, which was going to premiere at the Barbican in London, which for sure, like La Mama is going to pick up. Like when they come mm-hmm. to New York, it's two weeks, it's always sold out. And mm-hmm. like I have seen like Barishnikov like in attendance and mm-hmm. like people are, people are really kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's an interesting point at, uh, in one of the essays where um, Masha makes the distinction between, she makes an analogy to what's going on to what happens photographically between analog and a print. And she's talking about, um, how did she put it? I wrote it down, that there's noise in the West and silence in the East. This idea, yeah. right? Of- yeah, I mean, what what was really odd about following them for a couple of years uh, was, you know, like, again, without, I'll try to say it without, you know, like th- using too many cliches is that, you normally you have kind of life in it, like art, in, you know, like some, something happens in life and then artists reflects it, imitate it, or mm-hmm. they express it, or they document it, or, you know, Diego, you know, Riviera, whatever, uh, Picasso, Guernica. And here it was odd because Minsk was known as this, yes, there's, it's a totalitarian state, but it's quiet and it's dull and it's repressive and nothing ever happens in Minsk. But for years I would watch them recreate scenes of torture and all sorts of really hard topics for audiences to swallow on stage. And then when the book was done and sent to the printers, it actually happened in Minsk, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is kind of odd Mm -hmm. and weird. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, you know, like life, Again, I promise not too many like cliches, but like mm-hmm. almost like art really, like life imitating art, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. which is strange. But you, you'll see it in the second set of images. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, the founders of the theater are in exile. Canada. They're wanted and in exile, and they live. So after plays in Minsk, they sometimes do like little Q&A Q&As with, I thought we were going to be little Q&As with the founders. So you have Sveta, one of my my protagonists of the book. She's Mm -hmm. not just holding a laptop, but they're Skyping with the founders. uh, And audience is doing kind of a Q&A. What (laughs) was kind of shocking to me that the Q&A went on for as long as the play itself. Like people were not in a hurry. And uh, so this play was about uh, like problems of people with disabilities in Belarus, and they had a kind of an actor, an act, a couple of actors with disabilities participate in the play. So at the end of the play, again the Q and A, which just went on and on and on, and in kind of you know like in the West we're not used to that. We're not used mm-hmm. to Q and As, like mm-hmm. not being more than just a kind of customary, quiet little like. Uh, Q&A's. This was yeah. like the Q&A felt like, you know, as much of, uh, yeah. But, you know, as people, they were in exile, they wrote the play and they, um, you know, they, it was important for them and for the audience to kind of interact. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, people look so engaged. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, and then in, when mm-hmm. they're in the West, at the end of their big plays, so this was a few years ago when a prominent Ukrainian uh, uh, film director was held in the Russian prison 
they were doing a campaign to kind of freeze himself, which he was freed after five years in prison. But so they kind of do this, like actors, they take the balls, everyone is applauding, and then they put take this banner out, and they're like, well, please photograph it, please share it online, and and whatnot. So this was kind of this was what happens after the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the two women uh, who are at the center of my book, they run this, they run, the, they are, uh, they're kind of, their stage manager, their job is a stage manager and kind of an admin, um, admin, basically admin finance, logistics, mm-hmm. stage like management, they run the company, mm-hmm. producer, yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, I've spent a lot of time backstage in their plays and as amazed as the audiences, like what they see on stage, I was blown away by people who who have done a lot of theater would not be surprised by this, but I did not by the choreography backstage. Mm. Like I think the, the, when, when you're not a big theater company and there's a lot going on on stage, it's, you have to have the timing of what's happening in the dark backstage as much down, if not more, than it mm-hmm. what's on stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, yeah, like uh, when an actor is not on stage, they are not just smoking a cigarette or, or resting. They are physically doing something mm-hmm. to help with, with what's going on, uh, mm-hmm. what the audience sees. Mm-hmm. So this couple, they are like, you know, and they have like about 15 to 20 actors. Uh, depending like depending on the plays and their kind of mother and father and grandfather and grandmother and their psychologists and psychiatrists and bodyguards to actors because actors are actors everywhere and they're, they're, they look like adults but they're children and uh, you have to have like you know they it's a it's a it's a fully immersive job yeah and, uh, so for that reason uh, they decided that they're gonna live in the village, like uh, like about an hour from this from the city, just to have their own space, just to have mm-hmm. a little bit of kind of quiet. Like you, you know, like you, I think when you have a an intense job like that, mm-hmm. what I understood from seeing them is that you, you, everyone needs a place where. Time flows differently. Yes, and restore themselves. Just, mm-hmm. just like even a day in the, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in, you know, like I wish I would could have that. But, mm-hmm. You know, in New York, you kind of can't. But just mm-hmm. a place where time, time, time travels at a different, different mm-hmm. interval, a different mm-hmm. pace, and uh, so that's what they have. And uh, this is not yet, yeah. Just. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about um, just aesthetically, like I really love the frame um, of how you photograph. And I know that you switched careers and you went to the London School of Economics and have an economics degree, an advanced degree. And then it was 9-11 that moved you into a different space and career is what I understand. But this idea that you your your eye is very measured and um, your composition is like, just even in the images that we've just seen um, is just such a um, strong foundation 
Like you can change what it is that you're shooting, but I get the sense of just so strongly contained in your frame. Thank you. Well, I do believe that as a, as a, I mean, you don't have many, that many, I mean, one of the great things about being a photographer is that you don't have many responsibilities <laughs> like compared to like, uh, but one of the few responsibilities you do have is composition. Mm -hmm. like in your images and mm -hmm. i like sometimes rules are there to be broken but mm -hmm. when they're not needed to be broken don't break them and if mm -hmm. i'm doing kind of a project that's like this one which is mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more straightforward you know like it's a project ultimately about ex internal exile it's mm -hmm. about kind of a gay couple that kind of creates in a totalitarian country where there are no gays officially mm -hmm. uh, and kind of oasises, you know, these little islands uh, where, where they can escape to, like their home in the, in this village, mm -hmm. inside the theater. Very, very few oasises, you know, like they used, it's my responsibility to, you know, like, again, one of the few responsibilities that I think you have is be good with composition and mm -hmm. try to take for the pictures to be emotional, you know, mm -hmm. for your pictures to be adjectives, just mm -hmm. like this mm -hmm. one or the one mm -hmm. before. Um, and that's kind of, uh, yeah. And uh, there are times when you need to be a little bit more experimental. Again, mm -hmm. when it all depends on the subject matter, it all depends on what the question is. Here it was it is it was what it was and uh i yeah there's you know i was a reporter with a reporter camera with a, you know in a very straightforward three by two kind of reporter format and uh the you know and my goal was to kind of find this kind of balance between being you know like some of the other stuff that i have done for this project and all of the work that I've done on LGBT uh, uh, couples, there's some stuff that's a lot more intimate than this book. I mean, this book is, but this was all talked about in advance, how they were going to let me in, uh, but to an extent, like my, you know, like I, you know, like the purpose of this book was not to be in the bedroom with them is not to, you know, because not every, yeah, not to be kind of, you know, intimate, but also, you know, with a well-drawn kind of limit to what is, uh, what was kind of my role in all of this and, you know, with the theater and their relationship and, and whatnot. But I, I, yeah, here is something that I, I thought was, as a photographer, it was, this why, why was this such a, it was strange how easy it was to photograph them. Like, you know, and I'll explain why. is because when you are dealing with actors normally, actors are horrible in the sense that they're, they're, they're acting. You know, like if you're not, like they're, they have a hard time not being actors even when they're not on stage. That's why they're so difficult often in life and, and to kind of get a sense of who they really are in real life. So here, what made this such a, it was strange just how 
easy it was like from day one i don't think it was because of i'm so charismatic or i mean i'm just a guy uh it was because on the one hand these two women they are around actors all the time right they work in a theater but they're not actors so they're very comfortable with kind of lights and cameras and stage and um journalists but but they're not actors so it was I remember thinking to myself when I first met them, I have not had this experience before because having a camera on you is not normal. Like having a camera on you, follow you around in your home, in your life, when you go into groceries, that's not a normal experience. And in my experience, it took, you know, a lot of time and a lot of patience and a lot of uh, procrastination (laughs) to get people to just kind of stop noticing you and with them it was from like the moment we met but they were not acting which is very because they're not actors so that was uh that was uh unusual uh i think you're muted sibylla I can't hear you. Sorry, I, I, I see. Yeah, I'll try to. Um, I'll try to reach out to her. Yeah, no, no, no she, I got yeah, it. Yeah, oh, you got, yeah, it? got it. Are you yeah. good with me? Yeah, we're yeah. good now. I yeah. was going to say it's a um, a pleasant um, surprise, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. unusual. Yeah. But you almost feel like, what did I like? You know, there is no need to kind of schmooze and to mm-hmm. wave. You just like here are people who are not actors, and they're just. They, they just don't, they don't act. I don't get a sense that they're acting differently mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. odd. They're very, very odd. Like very, mm-hmm. very, yeah. No, but Unique. I think it's big. Be- I think it's because again, they are around actors all the time. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yeah, like, so being with them in Belarus and not in Belarus was, kind of an experience because you kind of see while when they're at home at home or in their home country of how reserved they were mm-hmm. but traveling not even to the west even traveling to ukraine for a show they it was like seeing two different people they are suddenly holding hands mm-hmm. they're much more comfortable in their skin they i it was just just luck i they were in New York for, for, for something, not, not a big pride uh, uh, event, but something kind of an LGBT rally. And they were in Canada, this photograph here for like a pride parade in March in, in Toronto. And yeah, they were to, like, we almost take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the freedom. Uh, you know, and they, we, we mm-hmm. like to have these debates about should should sh- how much of a nuisance there are. There's traffic. The streets are closed. Do we really need them? What about corporate sponsorships? Blah blah blah. But if you're coming from abroad and you, they see like straight people, like the mayor, mayors of towns, uh, like 
like the general public being so like supportive, the ability to just walk the street, like walk the streets, just holding hands. It's such a overwhelming experience for them. And you they're all you often you often have debates when you when you meet kind of kind of LGBT people in Russia, Ukraine, and they're always like you talk about the pros and cons of like staying in the country or moving. And I have I have seen enough people how and like see how they change and how they can just kind of kind of get it once they are at these pride events once they mm-hmm. see that what difference it makes when you're holding like you're holding hands with you're someone seen. you like yeah and no one cares yeah and no yeah. one no one turns around and no one just like you're not you're like it's not a big it's not a it's not a thing it's not a factor or mm-hmm. it is a thing in a kind of the most positive way but you're not a circus you're not the circus yeah. You know, like, and yeah. uh that that's a very hard uh emotion to try to kind of explain mm-hmm. to people when you talk to them because you know not every person is repressed not every gay person is prosecuted in russia or belarus or ukraine most people most people tend to live their lives quietly they practice what they practice in their internal exiles and they think that they could get by because you know, they've always have mm-hmm. but they see this other reality or in yeah, they but, but, experience but, but, but it but, but it's hard you know like you know it's it's a lot easier to say well come to the states you know uh, everything is like uh, your I don't know, food is better or mm. i don't know pants are cheaper that's something that people can can kind of understand mm-hmm. but like or there are better jobs that pay more but something like you can walk down the streets holding hands and no one will care. Mm-hmm. It's a vi- and like you like see how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. That's 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 a that's an emotion that's uh, impossible, almost impossible to kind of fully have people get mm-hmm. until they actually experience it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. You're you're making me think of the first experience I had uh, at a. Um, it was. Um, uh, it's Riverside Church. When I was in New York, I went to Riverside Church and it was a couple of different denominations in one. And at mm. uh, March, uh, they wanted to celebrate Women's History Month and not one male was involved in this service. And it was done very differently instead of having this one person be a preacher and all focus on that person's sermon. There were four different women that were all ministers and they interwove, they were all over um, and they interwove their stories. So all of them were like, it was like an egalitarian experience and it was all women. And I couldn't see, I cried through the entire thing because I'd never seen that in my life. It was so moving. So yeah, that kind of power of what can happen. Um, I want to um, make sure we have time for questions, but I want you to talk about the work that you happen to be there. And then as life was imitating art (laughs) in that order, um, you were there for what was actually then like what the material of the plays was happening in real life. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I went there in August to cover elections. Um, you know, when and uh, and then like all hell broke loose. Uh, like people were not. I mean, the guy, the, their dictator, has been in power of 26 years. Uh, he kind of stole in elections. Uh, people were not happy with the way he mismanaged COVID. Like he just flat out denied COVID existed. Um, and a combination of reasons and uh, clear fraud and people came out and, uh, and you know, he went full, he went into full like, kind of dictator uh, mode. Authoritarian. Yeah, and uh, this here, like that moment felt like I was in some, like a World War II movie, but it it felt like, I don't know, like a combination, like these guys look like, you know, a little bit like Daft Punk, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the the band, the music band. And uh, they were, you know, against their own citizens. Just in like and peaceful, like like peaceful, like peaceful citizens against this just uh, incredibly brutal uh, police force. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. So, I I know. So that from- was election night. Yeah, yeah. Just um, we'll have in our resources that we share after the article that Masha wrote after the your protagonists were taken into custody because they were sitting and watching and they got put in a van and had a horror of an experience um and what that impact was like and actually i remember too you mentioning in that article you were very clearly not photographing them when you encountered them again because of that impact well no one expected to the violence of election night and what happened a few days after that. And when I checked with them briefly what their plans were, they they weren't really planning on kind of protesting that mm-hmm. much. They decided that, because what happened was once the government knew that people were not just gonna accept the results, they shut the internet down mm-hmm. completely. They shut, they shut everything down and I had no idea where they were. What, I mean, I had other friends in the country and and I was essentially on a journalistic assignment for Getty Images and New York Times and uh, they were not part of my story at the time. But what happened to them on this night was they decided to go and just observe, like just basically sit on the steps mm-hmm. next to a polling station uh, outside of a of a university one of them attended. A very like central means prestigious university, kind of a lang- like ling- a university focuses on languages and linguistics. It's essentially a place where that's uh, like all the diplomats in uh, Belarus come out mm-hmm. of that university. Mm-hmm. So, you know, prestigious little school, uh, everything about it screams order, calmness, mm-hmm. civility. So they, I didn't know, central cent, central part of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just went and sit, sat on the curb uh, together with a few other people uh, just to be there when results be certified. Mm-hmm. And they got, they got picked up, uh, uh, they got picked up and spent uh, 
uh, three to four like horrifying nights uh, in detention, three to five, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which you could, I don't want to give everything away, but uh, mm -hmm. there will be like Marshall's article and other articles. Mm -hmm. about them. Yeah, mm -hmm. but yeah. yeah, this was, yeah, this photograph was, I, I, this was quite something. This was already when the protest was, was in full swing. And I went to this place where one of the protesters was killed a few days before. And this, there were not that many women, young girls, just just sitting there with flowers, middle of the day, and and I wanted to photograph one, and you know, and it almost felt like at the time in Minsk where people are this close to getting the dictator, this mm -hmm. close to, and she was like please she asked me not to photograph her or she asked like if you're going to take the picture can i'm i'm afraid of showing my face so it was so she, it was her idea to kind of cover her face with this and that was to me it was such a telling moment because this was at the peak of like the protesters like power mm -hmm. and she was already there she already went to the demonstration but the demonstration wasn't kind of big enough where she could be lost in the crowd mm -hmm. so this woman this young woman still was still afraid. Yeah. So wanted to remain was, anonymous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was which was odd because I wasn't she was already at a protest, like she was already mm -hmm. she was already outside. And she was like, nope, like uh, which was kind of odd. Because mm -hmm. uh yeah. Mm -hmm. And telling. Yeah, this was already this was in so this was this was in September when when the revolution didn't happen right away and slow, like day by day, uh, Lukashenko, you know, began to feel a little bit more comfortable again and confident mm -hmm. in his ability to suppress. Mm -hmm. And for like a couple of weeks, women, like they were brutal on men, but not mm -hmm. on women. Mm -hmm. And there was a turning point in, in kind of mid-September when they, like they, you know, even if you do violence and brutality and unspeakable facts, unspeakable acts, there is a line. Mm -hmm. It was, was kind of see that each person and each dictator and each police commander and each riot police commander has to cross. So for a while, it was kind of destroy the men, don't touch women. So if mm -hmm. women fell, but slowly, slowly, within weeks, within days, and then by end of September, whatever seeming like immunity. And then it was like, uh, there, were, there were like grandmother marches because they're, mm -hmm. well, we're, not, we're not gonna like touch grandmas. Well, yeah, well, that changed too. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I have uh, an image of that. This yeah. is a grandmother, actually. This is a gr grandmother mourning the loss of her grandson. Uh, he was one of the few people killed. Like, just he, he was made disappear. And then he was found hanged in the forest about a week later uh and they said that he just he that he it was suicide mm -hmm. so yeah so that that's his wife um holding the portrait and uh yep 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 yep, yep. yeah i mean again as riveting as the backstory is to this your photograph also gives us that it's that emotion and the amazing uh compilation with the hands uh, all intertwined and the woman around her uh, 
her murdered husband, you know, compositionally, emotionally, um, it's really riveting. Yeah, so this was this was in that in-between period where women felt sort of immune mm -hmm. from brutality. Mm -hmm. And so this was kind of a, a chain of about 30 women showed up that day to kind of protest the, the regime and what, what the regime was doing. They were it was horrible. Like they were like imagine a group of women like with like you know their hand ties in the string standing in line. And then two policemen, one you know, telling them that your actions here violate whatever administrative code. But then to the left of him is uh, like a secret police uh, agent mm -hmm. openly recording each woman with a camera, just mm -hmm. trying to intimidate them into, mm -hmm. into leaving. And, Sorry. and uh, I... I was, yeah, it was very brave. I mean, I, I, it was just an incredible, you know, it was like, you felt really felt like you were watching. I mean, a lot of the episodes, a lot of the moments in Belarus in August really felt like episodes from like World War II that we were, you have, you have citizens and then you have an occupation, you occupy, you know, you have, you have occupation, not occupational, but uh, the occupiers, you know, the invaders, uh, trying to kind of force uh, the citizens into submissions, submission, and uh, yeah, and they were incredibly brave. Uh, Do you? Can I just yeah. check since that just did something to my screen? Are you still seeing what I'm seeing? Are you still on the slideshow? Yeah. Okay. Good. Sorry. Um, yeah. This is again to the point of where. They're not stopping at the uh, the older people. Yeah, and this yeah. woman is uh, very kind of one of, like one of the most like well known, uh, like fearless, uh, like uh, opposition leaders. Uh, mm -hmm. Just quiet, you know. She's yeah. Wow. Well, that that is our last um, image in this. I'm gonna stop sharing and give people a time to to ask you directly questions about this and. Mm -hmm. And I've been listening. I'm just going to look to see, too, because I had some more questions. <laughs> but um, anyone who wants to unmute and ask uh, Misha about his process, please do. And I don't know if anyone has put anything in chat, Deb. I'm not sure. No, I don't see anything there. Mm -hmm. I have a thousand questions. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um, this is amazing. I've been just glued to the screen. Um, so um, I guess I'll ask the most important one to me, uh, Misha. I, I'm. Can you tell me a little bit more about the the process of the bookmaking? And um, do you have to financially contribute at all, or is it really funded just by the Arcus Foundation and the uh, New Cross, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's the Arcus, it's all the it's all everything is the Arcus Foundation. Yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, it, you know it's we're we're lucky to essentially do it the old-fashioned way, where it's a pitch that's accepted and funded and published. And my job was just to come, you know, together with Masha, come up with a story and then to execute it. Uh, and the execution took a few years because we. 
Uh, and then, yeah, we were lucky to get a book advance. Like again, I, and then uh, we planned it where we needed to spend time in Belarus, but also on, on tour with them because we kind of wanted to show. So, you know, they were in New York uh, where we had no expenses because, you know, I live here. And then we were on tour with them like in Toronto and, and Finland. So you try to kind of smoke and mirror those trips with other stuff in life. And uh, so I ended up going to Bel- I ended up making four or five trips to Belarus. And then I was on the road with them to like, you know, on the road with them a little, a little bit too. So they're funding your travel as well as the book production itself. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, then you you kind of you you do the photos, and then uh, you try, and then you wait for the manuscript, and then that that uh, the new press, which normally they don't do photo books, but they have great like text editors, they start editing, and then you kind of read, and then an art director decides uh, what the what like like what the narrative of the book will be about, and then you try to kind of uh fill in gaps and tell a story barbara uh, i thought of you when i read the introduction because it's by the founder of the arcus foundation so i was about to shoot you an email <laughs> yeah I, I i'm buying this book for sure immediately <laughs> today thank you mm-hmm. thank you i'll mm-hmm. pass the baton mm-hmm. sure Go ahead and unmute and ask away. Yeah, I mean, and it's also like, you know, like finances are important. And when you deal with, like when you think of a, play, a country like Belarus, the, the challenge when you are a journalist or you work with journalism is that there's hardly any interest in the country. I mean, there's, I mean, you have countries like, I don't know, Russia, that are always in the news, almost never for good reasons. Uh, you have kind of Ukraine that slips in and out, but mostly out. And when you have Belarus, it's like, you know, it's all—it's very hard to get, you know, the, it's a small, it's a very small country with not a large population somewhere in Central Europe or Eastern, Eastern Central Europe. And then you, it's hard to get anyone to like, you know, if you haven't, don't have a family. I mean, you have a lot of the American Jews whose like ancestors came from places that are now called Belarus. Uh, you have a little bit, you know, the diaspora, uh, but diasporas are weird because diasporas often, you know, they have a very specific ideas and agendas about what they consider to be kind of good work from their home countries. So diasporas are not, just because you're a diaspora doesn't mean that your work, which you try to do objectively as a journalist would be to their liking, you know? And in Belarus is a little bit straightforward when, when you work in places like Ukraine, which is very polarized. And when you have a very strong diaspora in like in Canada, and some, in some parts of us you know a lot of them are you know you know they have they, they, they have their own agendas and i would like and some of their some of their ideas are cringe worthy you know and uh yeah 
which I try to stay away from. So you kind of, Belarus is not, I mean, there are projects where, and like my next project, for example, is a project that uh, like that, I think I, this is something that I'm gonna maybe like take a chance and maybe, you know, like, I mean, I've already invested all the time kind of unpaid into it because I do think that it has kind of a little bit more kind of artistic kind of potential. But when you're dealing with uh, kind of theater and Belarus and it's, it's hard to imagine too many people caring about it. So it's just not, uh, it's, yeah. That's just how it is. I mean, in, in these new cycles, yeah. Nate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I love the work, uh, Misha. Uh, it's really great. Thank you. Um, I, I'm also a photographer, and I was wondering if you could um, give me some suggestions on tips. I'm planning to cover some protests coming up, and maybe a little bit of maybe your, your approach to photographing protests, like the some of the technical side, you know, what yeah. lenses you think good for covering protests and uh, right yeah. well i think with protests well i i i've done it i can't i don't want to I, I don't i actually think protests are a good thing to cover again it depends on your personality and it depends how old you are i do think like war like protests are a little bit like war where wars are for young people because if you die you will upset your parents but that's it like you don't have kids, you don't have that many people that your absence will, or your, you know, will deeply affect. So if you, I, my, I, if, if you don't have to, I would say don't do it. Uh, but in terms of coverage protest, I think it, it has to start with why, why are you covering protests and who are you covering protests for? Because Covering protests for wire is one job. And it's a very specific job. And I was there for Getty. I thought I was doing a great job. I felt like whatever I was doing was, was almost never good enough for them because I'm just not, not a wired wire photographer in terms of, you know, I don't walk around with 10 lenses. I don't maybe you know like i don't it's a it's a different mental set where i get too close i may be too slow for them i'm too slow for them generally like they they create their needs and their clients needs are different from my needs if you're covering protests for a newspaper is one thing if you're covering protests for a magazine which i think is the hardest i think is is another uh, why is it the hardest because if you're covering it for a newspaper, you need one photo or two at most for the article. But if you're covering it for uh, a magazine, for a feature, it means that you're competing with wires, but you have to kind of defend why you're there to your editor, why they're spending this money on you instead of picking up from the wires. But your editors, they want, basically, they want, hard action shots they want you like to be in the middle of the deepest excuse my language shit but they also want what does it mean but they want it at the same time because they think well we are a magazine so we we want exclusive 
unbelievable action shots, which you will only get if you're right in the middle of it. But they also want, but how does it make bystanders feel? How does it make passerbys feel? Not necessarily, what, is the, what does this protest mean in the context of this town, country, movement, whatever? So if you're shooting for a magazine, it is, I think, the hardest, um, uh, hardest uh, client if you mm. can get that assignment. But if you do, it's a, it's a very it's a, it's a it's a pain in the ass because you have to like you have to bow. You can't just like pick your nose and say, well, what does it mean? You know, like on the sidelines. And if you don't get anything, you don't get anything because your editor will be like. But I saw that Getty and AP had this incredible action shot. Why we, why don't we have it? Well, because I was busy thinking. <laughs> and if you're busy, if you, but, but then if you're only like right in the middle of it, you're like, well, why did we send this guy? Like Getty has the same stuff, but the, and it's better because it's by a photographer who has more experience with violence. So again, you have to like, or if you point on covering protests but you have a personal pro view or a project or have something to say then you know like your equipment and your choices and your aesthetics depend on if you have anything to say and my advice would be if you don't have anything to say then <laughs> don't say it <laughs> <laughs> which is a little bit of a kind of I understand the irony of me talking a lot just talking about not talking but, uh... but, but uh, Nate I don't want to jump in if you have an extended question but it made me think of two things that um, Misha as I went through your um, work in the book um, and because I'd seen the protest work it made me think that you are drawn uh, to photograph things like ambivalence and, and somewhat irony. And you talked about, in today, you talked about having the focus once you have that context, like this was internal exile that was on your mind. That was one thing. When you were shooting the protest, you were very interested in that idea that the woman was there but still wanted to cover herself. And so, so when I think of you and that question, that is what you have to say. You're like, okay, someone else can get that action shot. I'm gonna get yeah. this nuance. Well, shot. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna now. Then also, I'll give you the email of my editor at Getty, and you tell them that because they want, <laughs> they want because because they want everything. They want what, you, what they want yes. what you just said. Like yep. that's Misha. It's nice, but mm. then they think of their. Why clients, weren't you there too? Is, yeah, uh, they want. Uh, you know, they want what their clients you know they, they, because they they say that they're going to get killed because all of the news stations and all of their um, you know their clients want stuff to illustrate their articles and then mm -hmm. like from their perspective this was a useless completely useless shot mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you know well not maybe this one in particular but yeah but can yeah. you um could you term that when you say that it's like um when you go in to shoot the protest, the difference between being a wire photographer and what would we call you? Well, I think photographer. I, I'm. I'm. I think fewer labels, the better. Like I, I'm. I'm. 
Are you a I, doctor? I mean, but I mean, if I accept, if I, but if I accept an assignment, I have a professional responsibility mm-hmm. uh, to do a job to the best mm-hmm. of my ability. So on that day, I was shooting Fagetti. I was a mm-hmm. wire photographer. I don't want to, and it's a, an incredibly hard, important, and a critical job mm-hmm. to do. I don't want to like just make fun of it or yeah. belittle it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So if I take like I have done wire, I have done newspapers, I have done features. And for magazines, and I have done books, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but uh, you just have to still treat each assignment with with respect and professionalism of an understanding of what is required and expected of you. And if you can't deliver, I, you know, like the goal is the, the in an ideal world. You know, like in an ideal world where we don't need to like buy food, is that you have the luxury of saying no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not the reality that most of us uh, live in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I wish I I uh, was, you know, like I'm a little bit older now, where I know essentially instead of saying no, I don't ask. I ask less. <laughs> I know, like I, I knock on fewer doors, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still, but I still feel that it's my responsibility to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. I just, I just consciously or subconsciously don't put myself in a position that is not me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that's all. That's more of a, I don't know, life skill thing. Mm-hmm. photography thing uh, well yeah it's an awareness thing right yeah i mean i look at it this way you know i became a photographer in order to avoid going to work right to have like a real office job and in order to kind of enjoy this in order to kind of find a way to like what could be better right like what could be better than uh i don't know you get paid to tell stories like mm-hmm. what's the like what's the like you know i uh, you know, I, I remember this like wise photographer once told me like, "What's the worst thing that could happen to you as a, when you're a photographer? You take bad pictures that day. Oh my God, <laughs> end of the world." You know, <laughs> so, like there, I mean, it's a privileged, lucky uh, situation to be in, and mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there is you're not going to be super famous, you're not going to be rich, you're not going to be a lot of things that you could become if you know in other fields. So mm-hmm. if that's not the case, you're doing you're doing it for the ride. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if you're doing it for the ride, try to enjoy the ride. Then if if the ride isn't fun, maybe like do something else. Mm-hmm. You're talking my language. <laughs> Nate, did you have a follow up to that? No, no, that was pretty good. I, I I got the two points. I wrote it down here, you know, kind of get into the middle and try to find out what it means. And those two two points that, that Misha made uh, if, really if resonated the, with me. If the middle is important to what you're doing, like some people are very good in the middle, and and but that but not not everyone. Some people mm-hmm. will get a better picture by actually taking a couple of steps back, you know. Like, and I do think it's kind of a little bit of a fallacy. Uh, uh, you know, Robert Kappas, uh, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. I think that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. I think for some people, it's true. Mm-hmm. But for others, <laughs> for others, the proper 
like movement, the proper mm-hmm. dance move would be to maybe take a take a step back into the side mm-hmm. and ask a different question. So just because an extra step is required for some, it doesn't mean that it's it should be a requirement for all. And mm-hmm. I do think that too many people uh, see these old and kind of dated and I think a little bit, they were probably more ironic with these comments that people are giving them now credit to be and just repeat, repeat what others have done and not really being aware of why they're doing, why are, why are they going forward? Like when there are 20 other photographers doing the exact same tango when maybe you should be doing something else and we're not doing anything at all. Well, I really appreciate what you what you said in the middle of that. You said, ask a different question. And I think that that is super central to what I teach in Concept Aware. It's being aware of the question that you are actually yeah. exploring. Do you have a, well, or do you have a question? Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what scares me most is when people don't have anything to say, mm-hmm. yet they're out there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Why? Like, if you don't. Yeah. Yep, I do. I, I, well, I think that there isn't often enough focus, no pun intended, on that actual aspect of visual storytelling, of being aware of the lens that you are before you put a camera lens in front of you. Like that's where, that's my interest. That's where I'm going to work with you to, to, to dissect that and metabolize that and own it because it makes a big, big difference. I think, frankly, I wasn't thinking this before, but I believe your skill comes because you are so clear on that focus. When you oh, mentioned that composition is part of it, yeah. but also yeah. you are looking to have your images as adjectives. And so both of those things drill your, your sensibility forward. And it's, it's how I react to your work because your clarity like really hits me. That's my punctum, you know, your clarity comes back like, and that's, that's the synergy that we're looking for. Yeah, I think we have time. One more question, if there is. Anybody else? Are we good? Yeah, Misha, anything else you want to share with us before we wrap? Oh, just just uh, thank you for taking time. Um, yeah, um, I don't know what Boston is like. New York is, is beautiful today. So, yeah, uh, same. Uh, For the first time in many days over here. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, hope to see you soon. Thank you. uh, Likewise. And yeah, check out what I do. Shoot me a question. If someone has a question about this book or whatever, um, I am, I, yeah, I'm easy to reach and not as, uh, yeah, don't be done. Yeah. Yeah, oh, perfect. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I have, I have a yeah. last question for you, yeah. ma'am. I'm sorry. I, I wasn't prepared. I didn't even look up your name. I apologize. That's fine. Uh, thank you so much for 
this event. I wanted to ask you, what is the name of the plant that is behind you on the left? Oh my God, that's hilarious. My studio mates are a um, green roof company. It's called Recover. And they literally um, structurally make huge gardens on roofs. And um, they also have done work within um, office complexes. And with COVID, um, they literally had an office that they were sending their team in to water all their plants and there was nobody there for the past year. So the uh, company said, Okay, I think we want to rearrange this and 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 hold off on paying for a team to go water plants. And they brought all the plants here, and it spilled over into my office. So that is a snake plant. And um, hilariously, they're being very brave because I am not notorious for my green thumb. I'm working on it. Um, and hilariously, I also used to have the studio below here. And you can see all of my books were, were this same setup was downstairs. And I came in one day and was kind of shocked to see like, wait, what happened? I could see a stain on my rug. And then there was a piece of paper that had been knocked off and it, had, it was warbly, like it had gotten wet. And then I looked and it, everything had missed my books but they had watered that plant upstairs <laughs> and it went through the floor. So this plant and I have quite the history so far so good. And I've had to actually put something underneath it when I water it. But what's even funnier is I brought up other plants and I watered them for the first time. And my neighbors downstairs came running up because mine went down another wall into the studio. Such are industrial buildings, right? We're all connected. Actually, we can hear each other quite well from floor to floor. So yeah, so the water goes just like the sound does, but yeah, pretty funny. So there you go. So Misha, thank you for being so generous in sharing the process and thank you for um, your very, very uh, defined eye because it really is quite a strong verbal, a visual voice. That's what I want to say. You're welcome. And thanks everybody for coming. And and Barbara, email him. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody.